are listening to Checkbox Outreach, a podcast that showcases excellence and raises awareness of current issues from those who are directly impacted, but typically not at the table. Now, here are your hosts, Aaliyah Gaskins and Katie Leonard. Hi, welcome to Checkbox Outreach. This is Katie. And this is Aaliyah. And I am really, really excited because today we are speaking with Ashley Shaw. And Ashley and I were in New Leaders Council, Virginia together. And I just love her to death. She's a contractor by day, but an arts and culture warrior by night. And she's just so passionate about the arts and sort of different ways that we can bring arts and culture into our decision making, into just how we experience the DMV. So this is going to be a super com- like fun conversation. I'm so excited I can barely get it out. <laughs> um, but Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I'm so flattered with that introduction. Um, I love to think of myself as an arts and culture warrior. So thank you. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Well, I meant every word. Um, so why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about your journey? Like, who are you and where's your passion for the arts stem from? Yeah. So, um, it's funny. I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, where, where does this all come from? And, um, I always think back to this story that my parents told me and have now that has now been memorialized in every like first grade school book that you create or worksheet that you do where it's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, and I used to always say an artist and here we are doing government contracting by day. So <laughs> um, it, it's, it was really interesting because I think um, as I grew up, the I've always been creative, but um, as you get older and especially with, the way school is and going to college. And I'm sure part of it's like a cultural thing for me being Indian. Um, the creativity kind of gets taken out of you or you kind of get pigeon, not pigeonholed, but put into this box of, you know, going down a specific career path. And so um, it was really interesting because when I got to college, I actually uh, took an art history class my first second semester of school, my freshman year, um, only because it was the only class I could take with my best friend from high school. And so I took this art history course, 18th century British art. Uh, Sounds had great. An, Sounds great. Yeah, right? It was, it was riveting, let me tell you. <laughs> and really what it was for me uh, was the professor. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys had this experience, but when you, when you, take courses in college where the professor is just so into the material that you're like, you could be talking about twigs. Obviously, with 18th century British art history. And so I I loved the class, to say the least. I ended up double majoring uh, in econ and art history. So that was when um, I think it was like really, you know, like a real thing, like, okay, I actually love this art stuff. Um, And then I ended up after college going into marketing, consulting and advisory. So uh, that was really interesting too, because it felt like a good hybrid of two liberal arts degrees into the business world with like econ and art history and landing and marketing and ads and whatnot. And so um, did that for a bit, have continued doing business and business development and marketing now for a government contracting firm. But ever since college, I've always kind of found myself, uh, at least the first few years out of college, just kind of 
going to museums or, you know, going to different events and things that were related to the arts. And then I want to say in the last four years or so, um, when I moved back to D.C. from California, that was when I started making a real concerted effort about getting involved in the arts community. And so it's been such a rewarding experience. I've met, you know, so many people and created this entire network for myself in the arts world here in D.C. and Virginia um, and Maryland, the whole DMV, um, because we're all interconnected. Um, I've created this network for myself that is just so strong and so vibrant um, and honestly inspirational. Um, And so over the last few years, I've gotten involved in different organizations, um, started my own projects and hopefully can continue working on some projects and maybe um, start getting involved with a few other organizations that I do really feel passionate and strongly about. I think you've raised a really good point about what you're exposed to, whether it's in college and school, a neighbor who might be passionate about something. And once you have that exposure, your appreciation for it and where you can go with it. And we discredit that. And I personally think that art is a huge community transformation tool, vehicle, whatever you want to call it. And I really didn't appreciate it. Like even when I was like day to day in community planning and city planning and county planning, it was probably later on and looking, working with like real lower income minority communities and seeing the transformative power, how people can come together around public art. And it was just such a great conversation. Are you in those spaces, like in the public art space in D.C.? Um, I personally... And I'm asking um, because maybe I want to, like, get looped in. That's a total <laughs> selfish ask. No, I, actually, uh, no, I appreciate that. I actually um, personally am not. I probably know a few people that know a few people that are <laughs> um, at this point. But I've noticed that a lot of the business improvement districts in DC do a lot of public mm-hmm. artwork. In fact, um, the Golden Triangle Business Improvement District, which is kind of downtown near Constitution, um, they just started, uh, or maybe completed, um, but did a project where they took a bunch of uh, shop windows and had different artists come in and put murals up yeah. on them. Andy uh, Shalal is really the founder of Busboys and Poets. So he clearly uh-huh. is a great artist and is like, all, was all into that during COVID when the restaurants weren't open. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things though, Ashley, that you've taught me, so I think as a planner, my mind also went straight to, okay, when we engage artists, we're trying to get them to create a piece of like public art for folks to see. But I think you've helped me understand that there's actually ways to engage artists from start to finish in terms of like, how do we use art to engage the community in describing their experience or describing what Are we they want to, to talk about graphic facilitation. Uh, a little bit of graphic. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Okay. How do you use music? How do you use other pieces? But then also how do you use artists in shaping the space? I mean, it'd be cool to talk about some of the projects you've done. I think there's one like an underground art space or something. I think that would be really cool to dive into. Yeah. Um, there's just so many things just in that statement that I, I'm like, oh, we could unpack all of this. Um, do it. Do it. I dare so you. The, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I can. I don't know if this is enough time to, but I'll try my best. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the way 
I personally think the arts community engages with the broader community um, is so multifaceted, like you said. Um, I think uh, the one project that you're talking about was, it was this arts market that I worked with um, a friend on uh, in the space called DuPont Underground um, in DC. And it was really cool. We brought in a bunch of different vendors, tried to bring in a lot of local vendors. Um, and it was just like an afternoon in January, pre-COVID, um, <laughs> where a bunch of people came through when we were selling sangria and then, you know, people could just come in and out and just see all these vendors that they may have not seen otherwise. Um, so it was a really cool event. And I think, uh, one of the big things, at least for me with artists in community spaces, especially with public art, um, and local art is that these artists are such a good representation of the broader community. Um, and then I, I say this all the time, but like art is a way to convey what you're feeling and thinking without words. And a lot of times as you're going through different changes in the community, right? Like this whole area getting gentrified, like how do you preserve some of that local community aspect? And a lot of it can be through art. Um, so I think, I think it goes both ways, right? Like the community can see something and it can be aesthetically pleasing and like a thing to do, especially, uh, especially in these COVID times, right? Like people are always looking for outdoor experiences and public art is a great way to do that. Um, have you ever heard, I, sorry to interrupt the, um, ballroom uh, luminoso in San Antonio? I have not. Oh, Tell so you should check it out. So they... <laughs> It's like they won some public art award, but they had this underpass. I think it's in San Antonio or Houston. I don't know. Not that every town in Texas or city in Texas is the same. But they had this underpass where, you know, there was crime and everything else that would happen under this highway underpass. We have another episode where we've talked about how highways decimate black communities. And this is kind of ties into that. But anyways, to reduce crime and to put more eyes and foot traffic, they wanted to spruce up the space and they made chandeliers out of bicycle parts and so they're like illuminated with like all different colors but it's beautiful it's so cool so you should check it out ballroom illuminoso yeah i'll definitely check it out yeah. it, it reminds me of the thing they did um in noma i think uh ooh, i want to say last year but they there's basically this underpass similar thing where um they put in this like public art project with a bunch of like light up crystal right hanging things and it looked cool but it also as I'm sure you guys know with this kind of stuff like brings up a lot of important conversations about gentrification and you know like at least in DC and some of the conversations I've had with um, folks just in the community here um, art is often used as a way to attract people to a neighborhood that they normally wouldn't go to which to your point, I mean, could help with crime, but it also, I think in DC, they use it as really like, mm -hmm. like developers use it as a way to attract new young people, um, which ends up pushing out a lot of the local community. And then the artists that they do use uh, end up getting priced out of the studios or the gallery spaces because the rent skyrockets. Um, and so that's definitely been happening around DC. I know uh, like U Street, for example, was originally meant to be a big gallery corridor. 
Um, and now, you know, it's, it's a big, you know, millennial hub, which is good. Great for people time. watching, but great for, horrible great for many for other people. <laughs> Post up at an outdoor, you know, restaurant to see the people <laughs> walking by on a Friday night, um, Saturday night, whenever. Uh, but yeah, you know, like, so a, a lot of the galleries that used to be there are no longer there and have actually moved north um, to like Brentwood or Mount Rainier in Maryland. Um, and DC also has gotten a lot of, um, I guess, criticism for not supporting the local artists. Uh, and the big comparison is to cities like Baltimore. Um, Baltimore does a great job of providing resources to the artist community there. So, um, I don't know, it's a complicated issue. It's, it's like as many of these issues are. Yeah. Um, and I think the part that I'm deeply passionate about is making sure that specifically artists of color, um, those voices remain in these, or not only remain, but show up in these, in these institutions and galleries and different art projects and government projects, whatnot. Um, especially because DC is such a diverse city and has always has been, um, you know, it's a predominantly black city and it's changed so much in the last few decades. Um, so how do we make sure that we preserve those voices and, and make sure that, um, you essentially don't watch over them, for lack of better words. So sorry, I cut you off. Oh, I cut you off oh. with the ballroom luminosos. I didn't want to like. Oh no, you're fine. It's 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 always just interesting to hear. Like I feel like whenever I talk about this stuff, I kind of go from like A to G. And oh, that's back. just my brain every single second <laughs> of the day. It's fine. Actually, I get to the point, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's also been really interesting because I actually, in March, ended up uh, leaving D.C. to go home to my parents' house in Virginia Beach uh, for three months just to stay safe and get out of the city for a little bit. So I've only been back for about a month, and I'm just starting to get back into some of the projects that may have ended or things that I had planned on starting but I've stalled on and... Um, you know, the, the arts world uh, and arts organizations definitely have been struggling as a number of other organizations have outside of the arts community. Um, so it's just been kind of, I feel like I've been kind of waiting in and out and like trying to see what is going to work. Um, and there's a lot of discussions about, right, this is a problem way bigger than me, but um yeah, I'm kind of rambling at this point. No, you're fine. Well, I have I have a question for you, and it could be because I just watched Hamilton, like everybody else in America, <laughs> okay. um, who borrowed somebody's Disney Plus password. But the song about who tells your story, mm -hmm. um, I'm just struck by what you were saying around when developers come in, they're bringing and using art, maybe even not from artists in our communities, to tell the story and to create a narrative and to market a neighborhood about why this is trendy and why you should come here. But sort of what that does on the other end is you talked about, about what about the, the people who live here, who have a story to tell, who have 
shaped and created this space in the way that it is. And so I'm just curious, sort of what are the things that, you know, you mentioned Baltimore as an example, but what are the things Baltimore and other places are doing to like grow local artists and to make sure that they can thrive and be a part of telling the story of neighborhoods where they live and where they work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think uh, I mentioned Baltimore as a city because I think the government, the city government is actually fairly in tune with the arts needs. I say that as someone who doesn't live in Baltimore, so I could be wrong. Um, but just the general impression I've gotten is that they're better than DC is. Um, and it might just be, you know, like that they're investing more money in cultivating that environment. Um, you know, they, it's a bigger city, um, who knows. But um, one example that I can think of, at least locally, is Anacostia uh, in Southeast DC. Um, you know, they have like the Anacostia Museum and they have uh, different community centers that are really in touch with different organizations, partnering with different organizations and making sure that they preserve the original voices in that neighborhood. Um, so I think, uh, at least from what I can understand and what I've seen, it seems like the best way to kind of preserve those voices is by engaging the local organizations and the local communities and, and almost being super intentional about it um, versus, you know, I think sometimes I struggle with arts community um, I, I pause because I'm like, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement because obviously there's nuances in all of this. But I think one thing that I struggle with, at least in my experiences, is the whole idea of tokenism and like checking the box and being like, okay, we did it once. Like we're, we're good. You know how um, our name, you know, like why we're called Checkbox Outreaches yeah, for that exact no, exactly. reason. That's, yes. that's, we are that's, speaking your language, girl. Yeah. And so it's, it's, um, especially with all the conversations right now, the well overdue conversation on social justice and race relations in this it, globally, um, you know, how how do you get past just being like, oh, well, we had we had one exhibition this year by a black artist. We're good, you know, or like, Were you? How, you know. Oh, go ahead. Were you a part of when they did the, I think it was Umbrella, it, the old Martha's Table, when Martha's Table was moving, and it was like mostly social impact focused artists that were there. And Were you a part of that at all? I wasn't a part did of you it, go? but I know what you're oh, about. But they had one exhibit that I, I'll have to, as you're talking, I'll look up the artist's name because she's on Instagram because I stalk her now. But she had a whole... <laughs> exhibit to where it was like snap rejections and it was where it was receipts and it was literally like grocery and cvs and walgreens receipts of when dc changed their system and people's snap and ebt cards weren't working and so it was all the declined like receipt paper to show like they tried to get milk and eggs and their their purchase was declined because of a, a glitch and i just thought that type of art and that type of communication was so powerful and for people to be able to walk through and just see different you know people's experiences in something that was unjust or we talk about how society how people are like engineered and systems and institutions have them living in certain areas 
to see like their experiences reflected in the art space is such a powerful mm -hmm. and compelling story. And I think it can really aid in moving the conversation forward because now people are coming online with Black Lives Matter and their eyes are like open to where something like people just learned that Juneteenth was a real thing. Right. right. Like right. <laughs> it's crazy to me, but I do think that again, art is such a beautiful vehicle, literally and figuratively that can communicate that story and really transform communities. Yeah. But it goes to, um, sorry, I was going to say with that very example, it showcases the difference of what you get when you're not just checking a box because you could have sat there and let's say you're a program planner and you want to know what are folks experiences with snap. So you go out and maybe there's an organization you've worked with and they help you connect with residents and you ask a few questions or you do a survey. And then a lot of people don't respond to the survey or maybe there were other challenges in disseminating that piece and you never get to this deep, deep thing of, okay, what are people purchasing? Where are people's cards not working? What's the technology that's needed to make this better? But a physical receipt that is displayed not by one person, but by multiple people, yeah. the magnitude of that issue is conveyed very differently than showing it in some of the traditional ways we use to try and capture information. And I, I think that's where the arts can be so, so powerful and that many of us I can't, I can't tell you, Katie, maybe you did, but I can't tell you in a public health or planning class where we had a class on the arts and the role of working with arts in conveying some of these social oh, issues. Oh, not at that all. never came up in my education. But real quick, it's so fun. her name is Molly Ruskin and her Instagram handle is Molly, M-O-L-L-I-E-R-U. So I think you should check it out because three rows down, you can see her, her exhibit at that. Um, yeah. I'd love to. I mean, there there is so much local talent here, like so much. And I would love to see more of that showcased in, in and when I say that, I think I think the community organizations do that, right? Because they're by nature a community organization. But I think when you start thinking about, you know, more high end galleries or museums that are here or like different things like that like where are the local voices in that mm -hmm. world I don't know enough about the museum world I mean I'm sure there's certain rules and rules of engagement and ways things work but I think the arts world especially at that level and sort of like the institutionalized bureaucratic sort of arts world um, is very slow to change as many bureaucratic situations are um and I think there is a push. Um, I think there is like a momentum right now. I think people have been talking about it. I read an interesting article that was like, you know, why with everything going on, let's just make sure we don't regress in those conversations, even though, you know, purse strings are tight, like let's keep pushing for this. Um, I was thinking actually of the Baltimore Museum of Art. They, at the beginning of the year, uh, proposed that they would only be acquiring works from female artists uh, or female identifying artists, which is like a big statement for a museum to make. Um, and it was like on the national art news sort of platform. Um, and then they also are doing another initiative specifically geared towards highlighting local community art. I, want, I can't remember if it's digitally, but they're, you know, through Baltimore Museum of Art, which is a pretty well-known museum, they're highlighting these different community voices. So, you know, why can't we do something like that 
in DC or Virginia or, you know, or are those things happening and why aren't they publicized more? Do you think you need uh, the art inst- like, cause I know Baltimore also has MICA, right? So <laughs> do you think you need that art institution to like bring the conversation and have the momentum for real change and innovation? I would hope not, you know, I mean, like there, you know, Micah's there, but like, what about the graduates from Micah that have now moved on to a different city? Like, why is their work not being, you know, they're not any less of an art. They're just not in Baltimore anymore. So like, I think the institution helps, right? It's like a theater um, and it highlights people very easily. It makes it easier to get to those people, but I don't think that's an excuse for not Personally, I don't think that's. I think you should just open your own institution in DC and create your own (laughs) theater system. I'm I'm gonna do it. I give me a. I'm putting it in my five year plan. Perfect. (laughs) That was that was kind of gonna be my question for you. So, given what you're seeing and your passion about trying to get more artists in these spaces, like if, if you could redesign the system or you could make that happen, what would be like your next few steps? Oh my gosh. Million dollar question, Aaliyah. What are you doing to me? Um, No, I, you know, the problem is, well, okay. I have ideas in in how to start opening up the communication. I think the communication and the accessibility part is a big problem. Um, So right now I'm, I'm trying to start, and this was actually inspired by new leaders council and in in that whole process that we went through i wanted to um basically start this interview series in in interviewing artists of color and understanding just like where their knowledge gaps are in terms of promoting themselves right like we can't wait on the institutions to come to us we need to make sure that we're knocking on their door as well and so I'm trying to understand like where certain gaps are. Are there knowledge gaps? Is it really like a connection issue where they don't, you know, they don't have access to these networks and communities? Um, You know, what is the problem? And then based on that, try to start opening some of these doors and honestly fostering and like pushing for these relationships. Um, I don't, I don't, I, maybe Lee, I told you this example, but um, like, I, oh gosh, was it city of Alexandria? Was it Alexandria or Arlington or one of the cities in Northern Virginia um, had a commission or a, a, a bid out basically for artists to create their, the I voted stickers. Um, so really, you know, yeah, yeah Alexandria did really. I love her. And the thing, like, I brought that up with a few different artists that I know in the area. And they were like, oh, we had no idea. And I'm like, okay, so here's clearly a communication problem. Why don't more people know about these kinds of opportunities? Um, That's only with the government, right? But, like, how can you work with your local galleries? How do you work with agents? How do you, you know... if you want to start something, can you collaborate with different artists? How do you, do you know the different artists in your community? Like there's all these different questions. Um, I think that should be a mandate when you have that lens. So when you're funding arts, like a lot of museums and arts programs get that public funding to actually have the conversation, to use that equity lens of who's missing from the table. Yeah. Also too, 
being open to the fact that we all experience art in different ways. And I think sometimes what can happen with yeah. these public competitions is you may get somebody to who puts a sticker design out there that the city's not ready for. And so what does that mean? Does it mean that, okay, well, that piece, that submission's just pushed away because it's not understood by those who are judging it? Or, um, you know, maybe they don't have a connection to what's being expressed there. And so it's also making sure that those tables that are deciding which art gets publicized and which art gets promoted are more diverse and can be asking those questions, bringing in new voices so that, I don't know, we're not seeing just the same art over and over, but we're really kind of pushing the boundary and pushing the conversation. So. Yeah, and I, I, that kind of, that is such a great way of putting it because I think, um, at least for me, it's kind of, it's kind of like, these conversations are happening and people are acutely aware of the lack of diversity in a lot of these spaces. Um, but like anything, the capacity and the willingness for change has to be there. Um, and like, oftentimes it can be really uncomfortable and I get that, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't happen. Right. So, um, I think like the more that people keep continue talking about it, the, keep pushing it, um, you know, and, and kind of embody those principles in their day-to-day -day lives, the, the easier it'll, easy isn't the right word, the, the more, it'll be more acceptable and it'll be less uncomfortable. It'll be more comfortable. Um, because like, at least with arts and culture, right? Like if you look at a lot of the leadership nationally for some of the, like a lot of bigger organizations that often kind of steer the arts world in a lot of ways, they usually look fairly similar. <laughs> um, they're usually not diverse. If they are, it's one or two token people. Um, and that's kind of just how it is. Huh? Is it you? Are you like the token person a lot? I hope so one day. <laughs> I mean, like, I, one of my first things that I did with the arts community in DC was uh, start writing for this local paper. It's called East City Art. I've absolutely loved it. Um, the guy that runs it is just the sweetest guy ever. Um, but there, so there was this article that was published in the New York Times. It was an op, not my article, full disclosure. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me just back up there for a sec. Uh, no, but there, there was an interesting opinion piece that was published in the New York Times, I think summer 2019, I want to say. Um, and it was about how there needs to be more critics of color in the in the art space. Um, and I'm technically a critic of color. Well, that's what space. I was going to ask if you're the, if you are, if you are the token, like what it, or not, but like, what is that experience for you? It's interesting. Um, because, well, so it, the reason I bring up this article is because um, I, on Twitter, was given a shout out by like a, a writer in the DC community that's relatively prominent, and I was so excited. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like he gave I made me it. Like, <laughs> awesome. And then I, you know, and like whatever man i'm sure he it's, he's a great person and whatnot but i ran into him at he was i ran into him at an event i went to a few months later and i introduced myself and i was like oh my gosh thank you for the shout out like i really appreciate you reading my work and stuff and he was like i'm sorry do i know you <laughs> <laughs> and it was like 
deflated. Uh, I was like, oh no. And so there's moments like that where I'm like, you don't know me. You know me as the token, you know, like you don't, you're not attributing like you wanted to get involved in the conversation so you picked someone pick two or three of us right because mm-hmm. there's only a handful oh. at least in the DMV area and it just like broke my heart right because I'm like I'm really trying here and like I know I'm I want to go my- fight him a little bit just so I do know. too because I'm sitting here thinking I was like I bet he I- didn't even read it and I want to be like it was probably a good piece too <laughs> it was honestly Honestly, in the moment, I was speechless because it, I, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but like when you do experience tokenism, um, you kind of aren't expecting it that blatantly in yeah. your face. Or maybe you are. I, I Maybe I'm a little naive when it comes to that. But um, we should start a new thing I, called checkbox support, like to where people just support people by putting their I check know, in the box. I, um, <laughs> it's next in the series. You know, and it, it, it turned into, like, a big learning. Like, literally, that 30-second conversation fuel has been fueling my fire for hey, at for least it. the last year, if not longer. Because it's just, like, if this is what it's going to be, then, like, I'm going to raise hell and we're going we're gonna to get our voices heard. So it's, I don't know, it, it's, it was a weird, not, it was a hurtful thing to go through, right? But, um... I'm also now very acutely aware of the fact that like oftentimes there it's me and another person of color, you know, maybe, or, um, you know, if I'm looking at a board or leadership in different organizations, like, are you bringing in those diverse voices? Like, are the people making the decisions aware of the community that you're representing? Um, and if, you know, and if you have all these loopholes and like, you know, years that you have to put in to get there, then like, how do we build that from the out, the pressure from the outside to get that in? So anyway, just a little personal anecdote there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I love it because what comes through though is it's not just about, you know, getting more critics of color. It's not just about expanding the table. It's what you can do with that platform and that voice. And how do we promote ourselves? How do we elevate our own platforms and I don't know, take over the art space in the way, in the way we should. Yeah. And I, and I think going back to kind of how we started the conversation, right? Like the arts can have a profound impact on so many different people. So like, let's get to a point where, you know, our kids and our kids' kids can see themselves in these sort of community reflection spaces. Um, So if our listeners want to get in touch with you around this work of expanding the table and engaging artists in new ways, how can they do that? Oh my gosh. Well, so I think I shared this with you guys. I'm I'm taking a social media cleanse right now. But I don't even know what the hell that is. I, I know, I As a millennial, I don't understand. You aren't you much happier right now? Oh my gosh, I I'm more focused. I, I'm way more focused than I normally am. Because you're not. It's like not constant comparison in your face. I, yeah, and it's like you know I, I've set the timers. I've done. I, you know I've given the passcode to a friend. Like I've done all of it and. I realized that, I mean, 
I'm also a very visual person. So like, even if I spend 10 minutes a day, right, like scrolling through Instagram or whatever, um, it, it could just be 10 minutes, but like those images are just like replaying in my head for the next however many hours. Like if I see something that like triggers me in some way or like brings a thought back or a memory back or something, or if I'm comparing or whatever, um, I'll, I'll think about it. And then I'm like, wait, I have so many emails to get through. <laughs> like how, this is not working. But no, every, I feel like every few months I'm like, all right, I need a break. Like this is, this is enough. But I, with that being said, I have Instagram on my desktop so I can access DMs, <laughs> um, but I can't post anything and it, it gets really glitchy with stories and stuff. I've tried, trust me, I've tried. Um, I'm not perfect, but I tried. <laughs> um, so my Instagram is Ashley Mayhul, M-E-H-U-L. Um, and then, uh, that's probably the easiest social media way to get to me right now. Um, if you message me on Facebook, I'm just Ashley Shaw on Facebook. Uh, I might look at it. <laughs> I would probably look at it. I, I, I get on there every now and then. Right now I'm in the depths of a roommate search, so I'm on it a lot more than I normally am. But yeah, try me there, and then uh, if not, I'm happy to give my email out to folks too. If if anyone does want to get in touch with me, um, maybe we'll find you a roommate. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, y'all. I haven't had to find a roommate in a long time. <laughs> I'm not the one. Ashley asked about a roommate, and I don't know if it was autocorrect or, um, like, typing with one hand and holding a baby in the other, but my text back was like, we will find you a great room slayer or doom slayer or something. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, no, 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 no. not what I want to find you. I don't want a doom slayer. A doom slayer. That's hilarious. What are you wishing upon me? <laughs> Um, it's an area I don't have connections in. This has been so much fun. We have really enjoyed talking with you and are so glad that you made the time to come out on our podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been a blast. And, you know, if you ever need a part two, let me know. Oh, I'm we're doing it. it. We're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Without Doomslayer. Okay. <laughs> it's time for action. Checkbox Outreach is more than a podcast and simply putting a check in a box. This is about impact and moving the needle. Aaliyah and Katie, what are the next steps? Yay, another fun episode. Let's just say I'm so excited that um, one of my friends was on the show. See, it feels good, right? Like, yes, out of like 27 episodes, I feel like I know three. three Season people. two, I, I feel confident that you're going to bring the heat and bring all the awesome guests. Yes, but I do feel that's part of why I wanted to get on this journey with you is I have met so many amazing people. And I think at the end of the day, Checkbox Outreach is about going beyond your circle and finding people that you've never had a chance to connect with. So, so I'm who, so glad you got to meet Ashley. Who typically, like, what's your what's your circle? Um, I'm just asking. I feel like, cause so he, okay, so I ask you that because I feel like I pick up people wherever. So it's interesting. I would say that my circle's similar and that, I mean, you've been to my house. When you come to a Gaskins event, you're probably going to meet somebody new. And there's always, like, I don't know, there's people from that I've known since, I like, middle school all the way to people I've met in the last few weeks. But I think when I was thinking about this show, 
maybe, I don't know, maybe I overlook some people that I should have given a platform to. It, yeah. yeah. So I need, I need to think about that more because now that I reflect, there are definitely people that I should have been like, wow, I should have called you first um, yeah. or been a part Same. of it. I think I was thinking very much like, wow, who are those people who I know have not been given a platform or a voice? And I think a lot of the people who um, are in my friend group, maybe they're just doing a lot of work like this. And I didn't think about this could have been a great other platform for them. Or so, think of the Right. And think of the people, though, that you've just had great conversations with on Metro or waiting for your coffee one morning. And people have a voice and we have lived experiences that need to be told and need to be communicated. And I think a nice segue into the public art or in the art conversation is that I think art is a beautiful way where people can tell those stories and share their stories. And you can also use it in a very transformative way for communities. I that was a nice pivot. I'm kind of proud of myself. It was. It's very <laughs> um, one of the things that I have learned in getting to know Ashley, that was eye-opening, is I think, you know, sometimes when we think of engaging the arts, we think, especially engaging the arts in placemaking, we think of that as like, let's get a public statue or let's get a mural. And those are very important pieces of art. But I think we forget that the artist has a fundamental like way of thinking and engaging people that could be so critical as we think about creating more diverse tables, not only bringing more artists to the table, but you working with them and partnering with them to bring people to the table in a different way. You know, some people are better at, you know, drawing out what it is they're thinking, or there's ways to use music or other, um, I don't know, other forms of expression in order to pull out how people are seeing the environment around them, and then being able to reflect on that experience and use that for policymaking. So she's just opened my eyes completely to you know, not limiting when we think art should be involved in a community process, but really working with artists to make that flow throughout. Yeah. And you can use it in such a powerful way. And I will shout out the City of Alexandria Arts Office because they do a lot. They have a mobile arts lab. They literally bought an old bread truck and transformed it and take art into communities that normally might not have exposure to art since we can talk about publicly funded school programs and taking out arts and music another time. But like they're going into the community and they have they've had opportunities where they've really tried to expand how to bring art into our everyday experience. And so they had a competition um, for artists to submit work and they wrapped utility boxes. So if you travel up Duke Street in the city of Alexandria, the utility boxes have have art on them. And so there are opportunities to use art in a very meaningful and, and an impactful way in our communities and to get the conversation going. And it can also be layered for true impact. When you look at the Philadelphia Mural Arts Program and what they're doing with incarcerated fathers and allowing opportunities for those fathers to come out with their children and put murals on, you know, walls and city buildings. It's, it's powerful. And I think we're just scratching the surface and what that could really look like, especially now with, you know, black lives matter. And when you had cities painting the, the roadways, black lives matter, like it's a start. I don't think that's going to solve anything. It sends a statement. Yes, but there's still work to then do on top of that. 
Well, something I wanted to ask you about that came up at the end of the show, but I don't think we got a lot of time to dive into, was around the connections between arts and economic growth. And I was just trying to understand that better. And it's all on the National Endowment for the Arts. They said that in 2017, the arts and cultural community contributed $877 billion to our U.S. economy. I think that was something I had never really focused on. So I'd love to hear more about your perspective between arts and economic development and maybe how we do a better job of connecting the two here in Nova. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, City of Baltimore or MICA does a really awesome, has an awesome example of how they are using art to really redevelop or develop communities in a vibrant way. But it's really supporting arts as a whole and providing those same business opportunities that we talk about, the path to capital, the path to resources, the path to upward or scale or the path to scaling their business has to be there. Whether it's an art business, whether it's a tech business, we have to look at it the same and say that this is something that's viable for our community and can really drive our economy and also do it in a way that brings about diversity, it brings about beauty, it brings about character. And so again, there are just a lot of levels that the one you can support the artists and then you can look at, you know, what they're selling and what products they're bringing to the marketplace and how that money can then be spent back into the community. So I think it's a great economic generator through and through. That and then also finding ways to just continue to promote the artists. If I remember, I feel like Ashley was talking a lot about how do we get more diverse representation from black and brown communities on, you know, boards of art or folks who are making decisions about what is and what isn't good public art. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to have that diversity of perspective perspective is just critical in making sure that we're exposing ourselves to you know different forms of art and lastly I just wanted to well hold on just um, touching on that though or saying what we value and we talked about John Leguizamo's Latin history for morons with John Cano a while back and in that stand-up or performance he talks about how we labeled Latin art as folk art and we labeled European art as fine art and you know, just putting these names and these labels on art has has such deep meanings. And when we talk about value and the value get, that gets placed on art, what kind of money the artist is making, it's it's all tied together. So you're making me think. I emailed um, someone the other day, and I won't say their name because I don't I don't know if they want it out there. But I emailed them, and the response came back, and it said they were out of the office. But at the end, there was a piece that said. If this is a request for free advice or free labor, remember that that is another form of oppression and that you need to stop asking black people to give you their talents, their services, and their skills at a free or discounted rate. And I think oftentimes that happens when we talk about black business or black art, like, oh, shouldn't this be, shouldn't this be cheaper? And it's like, no, if we're going to actually create these platforms, then we need to invest in it in the same way that we would, quote unquote, fine art. I love it. Done. thank you for listening to another episode of checkbox outreach our episodes are available on itunes on spotify as well as our website we can also be found on twitter at disrupt outreach